Well, thank you, Anna, for reading for us. And uh, well done on the names. It's always hard when you get those kind of list of names at the end of a, uh, end of a letter. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's great to be with you this morning. And uh, for our regular members, hopefully you got that email through the week to let you know that uh, after the sermon today, we're going to have a little bit of time of sharing. So uh, giving an opportunity for uh, anyone in the church to just share how they've been challenged, encouraged, uh, spurred on in light of what God has been teaching us in the book of Colossians. So we'll do that uh, after the sermon and the song. Uh, but I just remind you of that in case you want to jot some things down or you remember things uh, as we look through today's passage. But let me pray. And uh, I think it's only appropriate that I pray in light of Colossians chapter 1. So let me pray for us. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding so that we may walk worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all your power according to your glorious might so that we might endure patiently with joy, giving you thanks always for what you've done in Jesus, your son, for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, this is uh, the last of our uh, series in the letter to the Colossians. I hope you've been encouraged by uh, the letter. Uh, I know I found it a real great joy uh, to spend the time in the passage preparing sermons each week. And uh, I've really been spurred on myself, uh, rightly, to, to walk in Him, uh, to walk in Christ. That's been our, our series name, Walk in Him. Uh, and that encouragement has been at the heartbeat of this letter. That's the take home. Uh, Just in case you've forgotten, uh, it's up on the screen. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. This is the heart of the letter. Therefore, as you've received Christ, which many of us have, many of us call Jesus our Lord and Savior, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted, in other words, growing in him, being built up in him and established in the faith. You see, remember what this is. This is a letter that was written to the the Christians in Colossae to spur them on to keep living for Jesus. And if you've been a a Christian any amount of time, you know you need to be spurred on to keep living for Jesus. And as we come to the the last section of this letter, and as Anna read it for us, you could be excused for thinking, well, there's not too much left to learn. Uh, You know, Paul, what what he's doing here, he's, he's simply... Wrapping up his letter, because it is a letter. You know, he, he's tying up loose ends. All he's doing is, is, you know, kind of throwing out random bits of information about all these people with all these random names that nobody knows how to pronounce, so Anna did very well. But actually, these last section, sections of, of Paul's letters, they're actually very human, if you slow down and read them well. Uh, they're, they're very relational, They're often full of of beautiful insights into Paul and what he was like, but also beautiful insights into what the Christian church was like in that day, in that age, and what it should look like. And that's partly because at this part of Paul's letters, when he gets to the end of his letters, he's kind of done all the heavy lifting. He's he's kind of come to the end of all the the heavy theology and the heavy teaching. And we've seen that in the letter. We've heard how God rescued us from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. Uh, We've heard uh, how God created us, all of us, in Jesus, through Him, and, and for Jesus. And we've heard of how God has reconciled us through Jesus, His Son, so that we can call Him Father. 
And we've heard of how the Christian has, has died to that old life and has now been raised with Jesus in the new life. You see, we now know all these great truths as we come to the end of the letter. And so at the end of Paul's letter, what we get is this lovely, very human insight into what it looks like to live those truths out. Uh, So there are three things, three great insights I think we can learn today. The Christian church and its prayer, the Christian church and its life towards the outsider, those who are not part of Jesus' kingdom, and the Christian church and its gospel partnership. So if you've got your outline there, it will be helpful. We're going to jump straight into point number one. uh, And this is chapter 4, verse 2, the Christian church and its prayer. Have a look. Make sure you've got a Bible there. I'll give you a time to flick back. Chapter 4, verse 2. Paul writes this to the Christians in Colossae. Verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert in it. Stay alert in prayer with thanksgiving. And uh, if ever you want to induce guilt amongst the Christians, ask them how their prayer life is going. Don't do this. Don't put your hand up. Don't do this. But if I was to say, raise your hand if you're nailing your prayer life. Or if I was to say, raise up your hand if, if you would describe your prayer, your prayer life as one as, of constant devotion. I think most of our hands would stay down. Uh, praise God. For the prayer warriors amongst us, praise God for those amongst us who are constantly in prayer. You're you're a huge encouragement. But in my experience, that's not the norm in the Christian church. Uh, If you find prayer hard, if you struggle to devote yourself to prayer, can I say congratulations, you're 100% normal. Uh, It's hard. Most Christians find it hard. But that's why God says this to us. That's why... Constantly we're encouraged to pray in the scriptures. That's why Paul, at the end of his letter to the Colossians, given all he said to them so far about putting to death the old self and putting on the new self and all that we learned about ordered relationships last week, that's why Paul reminds the Colossians, be devoted to prayer. Not not to guilt them, because we often feel guilty when we talk about prayer, but he's not saying it to guilt them but to remind them that God is pleased to help them. You see, what chance do we have to put away malice and anger and wrath, those things of the old self, or to to put on kindness and humility and gentleness, the stuff of the new self, if we don't ask God for help? You see, what chance have, have we got at being the husband or the wife or the employee or the parent or the employer that God calls us to be from what we saw last week if, if we don't pray? And ask God to help us. We've got no chance. You see, don't buy Satan's lie. Satan is called the great deceiver for good reason. You see, Satan, he loves to distract us with business. And he loves to say to us uh, and to lie to us about the to-do list that we've all got. Because Satan will say, there's, there's too much to do to pray. That's the line. We, you know, why don't we pray? Because we're too busy. There's, our to-do list is too long. There's too much to do to pray. Too many emails, too many assignments, uh, too much life admin just to, you know, just to get by the week. But the Christian remembers that the most practical thing to do is to pray. It's hugely practical. And Paul, he knows how life can be hard. He knows how difficult it can be to keep walking in Christ. So what does he do? He encourages the Colossians to devote themselves to prayer. Reminds them, devote yourself to prayer, not out of guilt, actually out of a privileged necessity. 
So can I ask, how, how do we feel we're going at being devoted to prayer? You know, the Christian church, it's at its most wonderful when it prays. One of the most lovely, most lovely things you can see at morning tea is when you look around and you see different groups and some heads bowed as people are sharing life and then they just go, hey, how about I pray for you, brother? How about I pray for you, sister? And you see at morning tea, people's heads bowed, praying for one another. Or when during our service time, you, know, you get that hearty, amen. Uh, us, us modern Sydney Westerners, we, we've got to learn from our African brother and sisters. You know, when they pray, they say, amen. They say, praise the Lord. They say, hallelujah. We've got to learn that a little bit. It's good. And we need to make sure that we stay alert in prayer. Did you notice that in verse 2? Look again at verse 2. It's not only devote yourself to prayer, but stay alert in prayer. Alert, because if you remember 1 Peter chapter 5, you looked at it last term, the devil is on the prowl. Did you remember 1 Peter 5, verse 8? It's up on the screen. It says this, Be alert, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So pray. Pray out of a privileged necessity. And that will look different for each one of us because we, we will all have different things given how we're built and what our temptations are and what we're like in how we might sin and how we might need to be alert in prayer. Um, none of you have had the honor of playing uh, competitive soccer with me just yet. I think Ryan Smith has. I'm, I think there might be a way at the moment. But uh, I play with Ryan Smith on a Wednesday night. I've been a good boy so far. But, uh, but for years, I, I pray just before kickoff when I play soccer. Because I know what I'm like. I can get a bit competitive on the field. I can get a bit, uh, lose self-control a little bit. So to be alert, to be watchful, to be prayerful, I just pray silently in my own head just before kickoff that actually I would control myself. Uh, or when my kids are driving me nuts and I feel like turning into that roaring lion looking to devour them, uh, I pray. I, in that moment, I pray out of a privileged necessity, knowing that God is pleased to help, to rightly calm me down, even though my kids are probably being ratbags. You see, it's our privilege as Christians to pray. And can I say, it's necessary as a Christian that we pray. So when is it that, that you need to stay alert in prayer? It'll be different again for each one of us, but it's a question I really want you to just think about for yourself. What are those moments that I'm in that I know I need to pray in that moment and be alert in that moment because in that moment I'm tempted to do X, Y, Z. See, what is it for you? What is it of your old self that you need God's help to remove? Is it anger? Is it slander? Maybe pride for you, you struggle with. Boastfulness, greed, covetousness. And what is it of your new self that you need God's help to put on? Maybe you know you're not easily compassionate. Maybe you know that you need to be more patient. Just think about what is it for you and remember in that moment to pray. You see, it's our privilege as a Christian to ask God for help and it's necessary that you do because we cannot do it on our own. That, that's why Paul writes this at the end of his letter. He said so much already, but just as it simply, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it. You will not be able to live out the way God has called you to live unless you devote yourself to prayer and stay alert. 
Uh, here's a small thing I think is very helpful. When you open your eyes in the morning, pray. Simple prayer. Heavenly Father, help me to glorify you today. You know, when you wake up just groggy because you didn't get enough sleep and you're exhausted and you don't want to do it and you know you're going to be a grump, God, please help me not to be a grump today. Uh, pray when you're on the train. Pray when you're sitting in the car and you, you know, your blood's boiling because it's traffic and it's Sydney and you're like, oh, pray, God, calm me down. Uh, pray with your kids when you drop them off at school. Pray for them as they're just about to rush out, the, out of the car. When you're anxious about a work meeting, when you're stressed over exams, even when you're right in the middle of an argument with your husband or wife or mother or father or brother or sister, whatever it might be, in that moment and you pray in your head. We can do that. And you don't, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. You don't, you, know, you don't have to say words out loud. In all those examples, it's our privilege simply to say, God, help me in this moment. Please help me. Let me honor you in this moment. See, that's our privilege. And in my experience, at least, when, when I devote myself to prayer like that and stay alert through prayer through the day, God is pleased to help. It's so dumb because you forget to do it. And when you do it, you go, oh, it's so good. God listens. He answers my prayer. He, he, he helps me by his spirit to live honorably towards him. You see, Christians, we can, we can be so silly. And we, we spend hours of our day typing away at emails or typing on our phones, messages. We, we speak words to one another. We communicate all day long. And yet we just often forget of that privileged necessity of speaking to God who promises to hear us and to listen. Unlike you know, kids that won't listen anyway. God promises to listen. He answers our prayers. See, brothers and sisters, let us devote ourselves to prayer and stay alert in prayer and to do it with thanksgiving. See, look at the end of verse 2. It's all with thanksgiving. Uh, who, who he uh, knew or has heard of John Chapman? Just out of interest, put a hand up. Bunch of hands, good, great. Chapo was his, uh, often when he was called, he passed away a few years ago now. Um, uh, if you haven't heard of him, Chapo was, you know, this kind of great Australian preacher. Very funny, uh, but also very straight speaking. And uh, many years ago, he sat down with, this, uh, with a young English preacher. Uh, and the young English preacher was complaining about life and whinging on and on. And, you know, like the English tend to do if you've been watching the cricket. Uh, too soon? No? Oh. Any palms? I'm French. You don't like me anyway if you're English. So. Uh, but Chapo said to this young English preacher, he said to him in, in his very straight speaking way, he said, mate, I had a friend like you. He was a preacher like you and he whinged like you and it didn't end well for him. And if I might say, you're not unlike him. And the young English preacher, who in no doubt was a bit taken aback at times, said, what? I, I'm, I'm telling you that I'm struggling and pouring my heart out to you and and, and that's what you say to me? And Chapo just uh, said to him, Mate, there's no thanksgiving in your life. There's no thanksgiving in your life. So he said to him, because Chapo was a very practical guy, he said, Morning and night, I want you to kneel by your bed and give thanks to God. And why don't you start each time by giving thanks to God for the cross of Jesus? And so I heard that story a few years ago from that English preacher and that English preacher had been doing that since the day Chapo said it to him. And since I heard that story a few years ago, what Emily and I do uh, before we go to bed is we kneel down and we give thanks to God. And we don't do it perfectly. Sometimes we forget, but we work at it. 
Because isn't there just so much to be thankful to God for? For life and breath and everything else, let alone the cross of Jesus that has saved us. And it's so powerful when you just at the end of the day, pause and remember how much you've been blessed. And again, especially through the cross. And then be thankful and thank God for it. You see, what Paul writes here at the end of his letter is so practical. It's so human. See, God knows what the Christian church needs. It needs to be devoted to prayer. It needs to constantly be alert in prayer. And it needs to be thankful through prayer because there's so much we can be thankful for. Which leads us to point number two, the Christian church and its life towards outsiders. Have a look now, chapter 4, verse 5. Look from verse 5. Paul writes to the Colossians, he says to them, verse 5, Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And so you see, as, as the Christian church walks in Christ, and, and, and puts off the old self and puts on the new self and devotes itself to prayer and acts wisely towards the outsider. Do you know what happens when you do that, when we live like that? People notice. People, when we do that, live like Jesus, people outside the church will notice that Christians are different. And as your speech is gracious and seasoned with salt, and that expression there just means that your speech is distinct. Um, salt's distinct, you put it in your food, it, it, you can really taste it because it's distinct. You put salt in your coffee instead of sugar, you can really taste it, it's very distinct. Uh, or you might remember Nikhil's sermon, which made us all hungry for hot chips with lots of chicken salts, if you remember that sermon. Uh, you need to be Christ-flavored, that's the idea there. So as, as your Christian speech is gracious and distinct in how you speak to outsiders, speak to all people, the outsiders, those outside the church, they'll notice and uh, sorry to give another soccer illustration, but um, I played in the same soccer team for 18 years. And uh, the boys in the team, they knew that I was Christian. And uh, they'd always apologize to me when they swore in front of me. So they, you know, let the F-bomb out and so on. And they go, oh, sorry, Mike, sorry. You know, kind of like in that way. And I just shrugged my shoulders. Go, oh, good. I've, I'd never asked them not to swear on my behalf. But they knew I was a Christian. They knew I was different. Uh, to my shame, when in the heat of the moment, I did let out the occasional swear word, often towards opponents, and that was wrong. Uh, the boys in the team were shocked. Uh, they actually acted like a bunch of five-year-olds to their kindergarten teacher. Oh, ma, miss, 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 he said a bad word. They'd always kind of carry on like that. But what Paul writes here, it's, it's important because of what's at stake. See, look, look again at verse 5. Look again at verse 5. See, why are the Colossian Christians to act wisely towards outsiders? What's the motivation? Of course, they're Christians. They should just be motivated by Jesus. But what's part of the motivation? It's to make the most of the time. And then look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Why should their speech be gracious and seasoned with salt? It's so that they will be ready to answer people. So to tell the people the reason why they're different. And why they live different and why they speak different. It's not because I'm just a really nice guy. No, no, it's because of Jesus. That's why I'm different. You see, be in no doubt, as we walk in Christ, we will stand out as different. And I think it's becoming more and more stark. So uh, I'm just going off script here for a little bit. <laughs> Don't be deceived by the world to live their way 
because the world's living a certain way and, and you're, you're guilted into not living the Christian way, or you think it's too weird. Don't buy any of that. Keep living the Christian way, and we will stand out more and more as different. But that's a good thing, that the Christian's going to become more and more distinct in our society because our society's moving further and further away from its Christian roots. Don't be scared by that. Don't think, oh no, Christianity's dying. Oh no, God's being rejected. Don't, don't, don't be scared by that. We will stand out more as different. And people will notice we're different and they'll wonder why our families are different and our relationships are different and our, our marriages are different and our speech is different. And they're going to ask us why and then we'll be able to tell them because of Jesus. And they will see that the Christian way is the better way to live. Good way to live. So, so don't be in any doubt. As, as you walk in Christ, we will stand out as different. And now is the time of salvation. See, now is the, the last chance people have to come to faith in Jesus. See, do you, know, do you know why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Hopefully, you know, part of your prayers is, come, Lord Jesus, come. When you see sin in the world and, and, and hurtful things, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Put an end to it. But do you know why Jesus hasn't come yet to, to bring in the new creation? Do you know why he hasn't come and brought justice and righteousness once and for all? Do you know why we're still waiting? It's because God has not yet finished saving all the people he has chosen to save. That's why now is the time of salvation. And do you know who God chooses to use to save people, to save the people he's chosen to save? Do you know the means that God uses? God chooses to use us, his church, his people. You might be the only Christian in your family. Uh, I'm the only Christian in my family, my extended family. Uh, my wife, she's the only Christian in her extended family. You might be the only Christian in your workplace, in your uni group, in your classroom. You see, why has God put you there? Why are you there? Make the most of the time. Act wisely towards the outsider. Be gracious and salty in your speech. Give them reason after reason to ask you, why are you different? Why don't you behave like the rest of us do? And who knows when they are, they are, that opportunity might come to then share Jesus with them. Uh, I've given you two soccer stories. I'll give you two Chapo stories. Uh, Chapo tells a story about a golfing buddy that uh, he used to play golf with that, that was not a believer. And uh, this guy, he was a serious golfer. So uh, Chapo, again, if you know him, he'd always love to talk about Jesus. But this guy was so serious about his golf that whenever Chapo tried to get Jesus in, the, the, the golfing buddy told him to, to shut up, which is really impressive because Chapo is the sort of guy that was almost impossible to shut up. But this guy got it. He was so keen about his golf. But uh, the golfing buddy, he knew that Chapo was a Christian. And uh, he knew that when Chapo hit a bad shot and kind of went into the trees that he didn't swear and, uh, and just how he spoke in general, he knew that Chapo was different. Well, decades later, when, when both of them were too old even to play golf, so they were pretty old, uh, and when they hadn't seen each other for years, Chapo just got this random phone call out of nowhere. Uh, it'd been years, and the guy called Chapo. Uh, sadly, his wife had just died, and he was lost. And he said to Chapo, even though it had been so long, he said, now I'm ready to talk to you about God. Just because he remembers what he, what he was like on, on the golf course. You see, you never know when you might need to answer about Jesus, but as you act wisely towards the outsider, you will look different 
And people will eventually ask you why. And what I love about this section of Colossians is just this beautiful insight we get into Paul. Because Paul wasn't calling the Colossians to live in a way that he wasn't willing to live himself. Uh, Paul was seeking to act wisely and differently, even in prison. So you've got to remember this. This is a letter. Paul's writing the letter. He's in prison as he's writing the letter to the, to the Christians in Colossae. And look at what he says in verse 3. Look at what he says in verse 3. Remember, he's in jail. And in jail, just for talking about Jesus. And in verse 3, he writes to the Colossians. He says, pray also for us that God may open... And at this point, you expect Paul to say that God may open the door to the prison to, 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 so that we might be released, so that we might be set free, which is what all of us would do if you were in prison because you talked to someone about Jesus and you were writing a letter back to Hope Church in Leperton for them to pray for you. You would say, please pray that God would open the door to the prison so that we might be free rightly. But look at what, look at what Paul asks for. Pray that God may open our door to us for the message. To speak the mystery of the Messiah. That is to speak about Jesus. See, that's incredible. Paul's desire, even in prison, was to act wisely towards the outsider for the sake of the guard who guarded him and attended him or for whatever opportunity he might have to share Jesus. But that is how the Christian church should think. Its great desire should be that that outsider, those outside the kingdom who are in the kingdom of darkness, actually become an insider, become part of the kingdom of the Son. See, that was the sort of gospel heart that Paul wanted the Colossians to have and that we should have. And you only see more of Paul's gospel heart as we get to the end of the letter. And this is point three now, the Christian church and its gospel partnership. And we can't explore all the names and relationships at the end of this letter but again, all of it, it's so human, so relational. Just, just notice the, the sort of adjectives and how Paul describes these people. Look, look how he refers to these fellow Christians. Look at Tychicus in verse 7. See, see look how Tychicus is, is referred to. He's a dearly loved brother and a faithful servant. And Onesimus, verse 9, Onesimus, who originates from Colossae, he was from that town, well, he's also faithful and dearly loved. And then you've got Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus, who's called Justice in verse 10 and 11. And they're of Jewish origin. And then you've got Epaphras and Luke and Demas in verse 12 and 14. And they're of Gentile origin. And so you've got this lovely picture of Jew and Gentile together for the gospel of Jesus, which was radical in that day. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix, but in Jesus they do. And they partner in the gospel together. And in each one of those names at the end of this letter, they have a beautiful story. So Onesimus, he has a great story. Uh, I won't steal Cam's thunder. Cam will preach on Philemon next week, and you'll hear all about Onesimus. And the Mark of verse 10, the Mark that's there in verse 10, he's Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And if you know the book of Acts, Paul, he, he wasn't sure about Mark for a little while, and yet now he commends him. And in verse 12, look at verse 12, you have Epaphras. And look at how this faithful brother uh, conducted himself. Uh, again, he was from Colossae. He was one of them. But look, look at how he's described in verse 12. He's always contending for you, for you Colossians, in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. 
And then you get Luke in verse, four, uh, verse uh, 13. Luke, there is Dr. Luke. He's the one who wrote Luke's gospel. And in verse 15, there's this lovely picture of Nympha, this Christian woman who, what she did is she said, hey, I've got a house that can fit lots of people. Let's do church in my house in Laodicea. Use my house for church. And you can go on and on about all the different names at the end of this letter. But the point is, these aren't just random names on a page that have no meaning. These are the people of God. These are the people of the Christian church of 2,000 years ago who were partnering together in the gospel. And what we have here in the church in Leppington in 2023 is our own version of that. Imagine writing our letter. There is our, our dearly loved Richard and Kathy who clean our church every week. I see them. Uh, there is the faithful John and Roz, who if you're part of the Little Lambs on a Tuesday, who are here serving the Little Lambs playgroup every Tuesday. There's the hard-working Justin and Phoebe who labor in caring for their hope group. There's Smitter who, who greets all the brothers and sisters every week at hosting. There's Howard and Michelle Newby in the Philippines, who we as a church are always contending for in prayer as they serve. And just like Paul, even though I'm relatively new, I could go on and on because each of the names in our church have a lovely story to go with them. Because that's what it means to be those who walk in Christ, who walk in Him. That's what it means to have a Christian church that, that are partnered together, not for our own little kingdoms and our own little material kingdoms, but for the kingdom that matters. See, what we are is the church of God in Leppington. We have our own little end of the letter story. What we have is this beautiful, faithful, relational group walking and growing in Christ, devoted in prayer, living wisely towards outsiders, and partnering together in the gospel. And again, hopefully you saw that, uh, the email that went out through the week, because what I'm going to do now is I'm going to stop talking, and uh, I'm going to invite the band up. So if the band wants to come up now, and uh, what we're going to do after we sing is have a, a couple of roaming mics to give people, all of us here, a chance to just share what, what, what has struck you from Colossians over this last term. Um, you might want to skim back through the letter uh, briefly, but what struck you? How's God challenged you? How's he encouraged you? How's he spurred on? And I'm hoping a bunch of people can, can share and uh, give a couple of sentences as to how they've been encouraged. Uh, and I'm hoping that will be very edifying and encouraging for all of us. Uh, so we're going to sing and then uh, we're going to share together.